I'm excited to be here as well to represent the Bacells. Bacells, I, it's always Bacell, right? Bacell. Uh, and to, um, to just kind of help you guys as a church body understand what we're doing in Uganda. I praise the Lord for people who are willing to use their days, their last days, uh, their last chapter of their life for kingdom purposes in Africa. And uh, the biggest hindrance to that, you know what it is for them? It's their love for this church right here. And uh, I have not, uh, there's not, come on, you can clap for that. And uh, we, are, we are excited to have them join our team. We are excited for them to continue to uh, love on this congregation, to see this church build up and establish and, and people coming and following the king with all of their hearts. And uh, we're trusting the Lord to continue to work out those details to make that happen. And, uh, but we wanted you to know what they're about. We want to let you know the mission they're part of. We want to let you get to know us a little bit so that we can continue to build the relationship. You guys are already supporting the Huffstutler family, and, uh, and so we praise the Lord for that. Come on, clap for yourselves there. In addition to that, you guys are already have given substantially for our church there in Uganda. What an awesome thing it is to be a church that is really about kingdom uh, uh, impact. And so we thank the Lord for a body of believers in all places of Bakersfield. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, in Bakersfield here that loves the Lord and, and uh, is really committed to God and to making him known throughout the, the, the world. For those of you that weren't in Sunday school, you can repent. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, we're, we're glad that uh, those of you that were there were, because you're able to hear what God is doing in Uganda. Uh, the rest of you that didn't come, you'll just have to come to Uganda to make up for it. And uh, we really find like, that God is working in Africa in ways that probably not working in most parts of the world. There is an openness to the gospel, a softness to the truth that is radical, and, uh, and we are excited to be part of what God is doing around the world. And so thank you as a church body for participating with us. Thank you for uh, being willing to support us by sending missionaries to us. And uh, we look forward to having pastors come out, help us in our, our pastoral training college, and, uh, and us to continue to partner to make God known in East Africa. Amen? Amen? And we're going to have to get you guys, we're going to turn you into an African church this morning, okay? We're going to have to get a little feedback so, uh, so that we can feel the emotions of the room. Amen? Oh, yeah. Amen, brother. Okay. <clears throat> turn you Pentecostal. We're going from Fundy to Penny. Pen- no, just kidding. Uh, so what, what, a, what a fun thing it is to be believers and love Christ. I love loving the Lord. You love loving the Lord? You know, I just love life. I love the fact that I know the king over this universe. I get to know his word and be, sh- be, be shepherded by our master. And it just makes life sweet. And, uh, and so it's a joy to open God's word with you this morning. I'm going to have you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter, starting in chapter 10. And what I want to do in our time together is I want to motivate our hearts to live out who we are as believers. I want to encourage each one of us here to live in a radical kingdom mentality. I would love to see all of God's people rise up and really, really do unbelievable things for kingdom purposes because we're so serious about this Bible, so serious about our God that we want to just, we want to live with focus and drive and determination. Today, of all days, and the day in which God's word can still be preached freely, we need churches with vision, with passion, with focus. Amen. We need to not just model expository preaching. We need to model expository living, right? We need to be doers of the word. 
And with that, I feel the need to remind us this morning of who we are as believers. I want to remind us because you are being bombarded all over this world to not be radical. To not be radical for Christ, but to stay balanced. People make it as if it's uncool or unsafe or unwise to live lives that really, really proclaim God with everything they have. They use resources for kingdom. That's lives are, 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 are just completely focused, un, unattached to the world completely and completely devoted to our master and Lord. And I want to encourage us this morning by reminding us who we are as believers, who we are, who are we as Christians? When we open up our Bibles, who are we? What are we to be? How are we to live? In light of everything pushing against us to not be what God has called us to be, I want to push back this morning. And I want to do it by looking at what Hebrews 11 has to say about believers. The reason I have us start in Hebrews chapter 10 is because the context of Hebrews chapters 11 comes out of it. What I want to do in our time together is I want to remind you or I want to lead you in three ways. I want to do three things with you this morning, okay? How many things? Three. First thing what I want to do is I want to remind you. I want to remind you who you are. Second thing I want to do this morning is I want to define for you who you are. And then thirdly, we want to illustrate who you are. Because that's the flow of the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm not going to take you through all 40 verses of Hebrews chapter 11. So what I'm going to do is I have taken the illustrations that are given and I've wrapped them into five, uh, five basic uh, characteristics of a believer. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is first I'm going to remind you who you are. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39. Are we together? He says this in verse 39. We are not those who what? Shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who what? Have faith and the preserve and preserve their souls. The writer of Hebrews starts off this little section to remind us who we are. And his reminder is that we are not those who run from the faith. We're not those who abandon the faith. No, 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 no. But rather, we are people of faith. We are people of we're people of faith. We are people of faith, of faith. We are, if we were to describe who we are as believers, we are people who live by faith. We are driven by faith. Everything we do is by faith. That describes who we are. We're not people who abandon God when things get difficult, we rather hold on to God and make him known in the midst of all adversity because we are people of faith. See, in verse 11, you see the first word is now faith is, and so he goes from reminding them who they are to defining who they are. But I want us to Stop there at that reminder. And I want us to look in our own hearts. If someone describes your life, do they describe you as a person of faith who actually lives out the reality of their profession? Or are you one who leaves your faith right here at church and you walk out of the door, you get in your car and you run on 
and do what everybody else in the world does? How has God impacted your life? How has God impacted your job? How has God impacted your marriage? You, if you are a believer, you are a person of faith. Verse 38 says, my righteous one shall live by faith. How do we live? We live by my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of our souls. Faith is what describes you and me if we are truly believers. Amen? So I want to remind you this morning, if you are a true person, you are a person of faith. Now, I'm going to have you do something that we do in Africa. You're going to get weird, but I think it's cool. I want you to remind your neighbor, look at them in the eyes and say, you are, if, are you a person of faith? Come on, you got to do it in a cool way. Come on, you can do it. Because that really becomes the question. Come on, everybody, that was cool, was it not? Let me bring you to the second part. The second part, which is defining who we are as a person of faith. You see in verse 11, now faith is, verse 1, the assurance of things, what? It is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Here he gives two definitions of faith. Say, I'm a person of faith, but what does that mean? First definition I would give you is faith is this firm immovable confidence in things hoped for. This firm, immovable confidence in things hoped for. If you are a believer, you have been transformed by God. The Bible says that faith comes from hearing, right? We heard the word of God, we heard the gospel preached, and we were given faith. Faith is given by grace, it's a transforming work of God done in your heart, and therefore it creates in you something. There's something deeply embedded in you called faith. This word actually carries the idea of a foundation. Now, if there was a fire, and we pray that would never be, this whole building would go down and something would remain, and that is this what? foundation. It's the same way it is with this word faith. It is this immovable substance, this assurance, this conviction. And it has this, subs, this immovable substance in things that are what? Hoped for. They're not realized now. We don't touch them. We don't have heaven yet, right? But there's something in us that we know. Even though we don't see it, we know it. We believe in heaven, do we not? We believe in hell, do we not? We believe there is salvation. We believe there's future reward. These are all things that we're hoping for. All things that we're living for. Even in this life, we know that when you're faithful to the Lord, he will bring blessing. Am I right? These are hoped for realities, and we live knowing them. I mean, why would we move to Africa? Why would the Basels want to move to Africa? Why? Because we're living in light of a future reality. And God has put this something in us that knows what we can't see. The second definition, that, and look at verse 7. Here's a great example, verse 7. Read it with me. It says this, by faith Noah being what? Worn by concerning events as yet in reverence, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. You see, Noah had this confidence that what God had said he will do, and thus he moved in light of that reality. The second definition that's provided here is faith is an undying conviction in things unseen. An undying conviction in things unseen. This word conviction implies a compulsion. 
There is something in us that drives us. It drives us to live out this truth. First Peter 1.8 says that though we have not seen him, we love him. Inside of us, God puts this passion to love a God in whom we cannot see, to live in light of a future even though we've not tasted that future. It's unseen, but it's real. We know it. This is what God does in the human heart. Let me give you an example that's given in in, in verse 3 of creation. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. How many of you were here when God created the world? Anyone? Come on, some of you are old. Here we go. None of us were. How many believe that God created the world? How many deeply believe God created the world and you'll stand on those truths? Are you guys crazy? What makes you believe it? It's it's this God-implanted thing called faith that he puts in us where it's immovable. No matter what happens, it goes nowhere. We live out what we know because we know. There is this deep conviction, this compulsion to live for things that are a future reality and to live for someone we've never seen because we know, because God has given us this thing called faith. We can't go anywhere because it's in him that has the words of life. I, like you, are tempted to sin. Are we all that way? Sometimes I'm like, man, what is the problem with me? Why does my head think funny things? Why do I have temptations? Why do I have this? But listen, in the end of the day, I can't go anywhere because I know the Bible is true. I know God's way is the best. That is this thing called faith. This is who we are. This is not just who I am. This is, it's, it's also who you are. And one thing I want you to see in this section is here, the writer of Hebrews is not describing who the superheroes of the faith are. Whoever says that Hebrews 11 is about the super Christians, everybody together, wrong. This is not about super Christians. That's not the goal here. Whoever says that, they they have a wrong theology. The same spirit of God that he put in in any believer is the same spirit of God in all of these believers right here. One spirit. And, And in reality, this is not describing who the heroes of the faith is. It's describing who we all are as believers. I'm no different than you. I may be a missionary. But we all live by faith. He might be a, Mark might be a pastor, but we all live by, if you're a businessman, you live by, if you're a mom at home, you live by, if you're a student in school, you live by, you all have this deep implanted conviction and confidence in things hoped for, this undying conviction in things that aren't seen because it is a God-implanted reality is placed right in your heart by grace. And it is alive. It's sealed by the Spirit of God. And it drives you to be radical for kingdom purposes. And that's the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11. That's why what he does after defining in verse one, he'll give in verse two a four and he will begin to explain all of these people who have gone before us. As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two, this cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And he gives life after life after life after life of people who have lived this 
life of faith. What I have done and I, what I want to do for you is I want to, instead of taking you through each person, I want to show you five characteristics of a person of faith. Five characteristics of who you and I are to be if we're truly born of God. Amen? And I want to use this to motivate you, to encourage you, to cause us to cut out. Because remember, and you learned last week, you, we are to run this race. Am I right? We're not crawling, we're not walking, we're what? We're running. Everybody running? Some of us, though, are out of shape. And that's why he says, when you run, you're to run with endurance. But before you run, you need to take off what? Encumbrances. And you need to take off sin. And if God does anything this morning, I'm praying that he, ta- he shows us and reveals to us what are those encumbrances, what are, is that sin that needs to be gotten away of in both you and in myself that we would run and we would, and we would use our life for the glory of our creator. Amen. Here are five characteristics that describe what is going on here throughout Hebrews chapter 11. Let me give you the first characteristic. Are we ready? First characteristic is a Christian or a person of faith is a person who lives confidently in light of God's word. They live confidently in light of, in light of God's word. As I read for you just a few minutes ago, Noah, look again at Noah. It says in verse 7 that Noah being what? Everybody together, everyone together. Here we go. Noah being what? Warned by concerning the events as yet unseen. In reverence constructed an ark for the saving of the household. You see, God spoke. Noah believed. All God had to do was speak, and it's that word he believed and drove him, listen, drove him to build an ark in the middle of a dry desert. Who does that? That's crazy. That's ridiculous. You can imagine the criticism. You can imagine the abuse that he gets. <laughs> oh, look at that guy. He's lost his mind. Had he lost his mind? What drove him? What motivated him? What motivated him was he knew the word of, and therefore he was driven. He was driven. If God's word says it, I'm gonna, that's the confidence we live with, huh? That's the confidence that drives us. If God's word says it, I'm doing it, because he said it. That's not just true of Noah, Look at Abraham in verse 8. It says, without faith, it is impossible. That's verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 8. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing what? Where he was going. (laughs) That's crazy. Hey, honey. Uh... I know life is comfortable here, but we're going we're gonna to move. Uh, where are we going? I don't know. Try and sell that one. It was hard enough to sell going to Africa, right, honey? But you see, what drove Abraham, he obeyed when called to go. God spoke and Abraham, God spoke and Abraham, that's what drives believers. It's the word of God. Look at Sarah in verse 11. It says this, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had what? Here she's 100 years old, 
and she's able to produce. And what gave her the energy and ability to produce is because she considered him faithful who had promised. It was promises of God that drove her life. It wasn't left over here in the shelf. It wasn't put away. It was something that she walked with. She lived in light of these promises. They drove her living. Not only that, but we see in verses 17 and 19 through 19, we see Abraham again. It says this, that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom he had said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered the God who was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he had received back. What is he saying? What made Abraham willing to sacrifice his son? He knew what the word of God said. It said, through Isaac I will build my offspring. So he knew that if I kill Isaac, it doesn't matter. God will raise him from the, because what the word of God says he must do. Therefore, I must trust in God's, God's word, promise, whatever. It's all the same, all his word, right? My dear friends, even when you look in verse 20, Two, what happens, Isaac, Joseph rather, says in verse 22, says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. He's like, look, when I, when you guys go to the promised land, take my bones with you. Why? Because you're going to the promised land. I know it. Why? God said it. Let me tell you and let me encourage you in the Lord. We live this stuff. Everything about us is driven by these words. This is our life. This is what we're all about. This drives every part of who we are. All men live in light. All Christian men and women live in light of these promises. We live in light of the word of God. This book is not just something we study. It's something that we live out. Amen? We live it out. We put it to the test. It drives everything about us. Our whole lives are lived in light of these pages. I remember very vividly being in the middle of a business world, shipping ducks all over the country, experiencing resources that I never thought I would even know, then feeling a sense of calling to go to the mission field. Seminary is over. I go to Uganda. I feel this sense of calling in my heart. Having just literally read Hebrews chapter 6 through chapter 11 on the flight to Uganda, I get back on that flight. I look out across As I go up the stairs, I look out out across the the skies of Uganda. I sit in my chair and I ask myself the most fundamental question I can ask. Do I really believe these words to be true? Because I knew that there was nothing causing me to go to Africa but these words right here. And the conviction that the world must have them. That's what drove me to Africa. And I sat there in my chair and I said, I know they're true. I know they're true. My brothers and my sisters, a Christian is someone who lives by faith Trusting in the words of God. Second characteristic of a Christian. And that's why this is our daily bread. This is why every one of us who are really serious about Christ, 
really serious about Christianity, we spend every day in this book. And listen, if you don't spend time in God's word each day, I would question whether you're serious or not. Because there is no way, Christianity 101 teaches you, you cannot live this Christian life without being in this book every day. Because man cannot live on bread. The second characteristic of a believer or a Christian, a person of faith, is that we, listen, live for heaven. We live for what? Heaven. In verses 9 and 10, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob, and Sarah, it says of them, it says, by faith, first regarding Abraham, it says, by faith he went out to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, Jacob, heirs with whom of the same promise, of him with, of the same promise. <coughs> Verse 13, it says, all these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak, thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a what? A better country, verse 16, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham and Isaac, they lived, they all lived for this future reward, this future inheritance. It wasn't something they could embrace now. It was a future reality, a promise to be revealed. Not only that, but if you look with me, in verse 26, you can see Moses. It says of Moses that he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What reward? The reward of the promised land. For Jesus himself. We know that it was for the joy, verse chapter 12, verse 2, it was the joy set before what? Him that he endured the cross. Every one of these men, they're living for a future reality. How is it that people will be stoned to death? How is it they be sawed in two? Because they know of the future inheritance to come. My brothers and sisters, the Bible says that, it, that our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is not here, it is there. We are all pilgrims on our way to the celestial city. The Bible makes it very clear in Matthew 6, 19, that we do not store up for ourselves treasures on where, rust, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal, but rather we seek first his, his, and his, and all these other things will be added to us. We all know that those who love the world and the things of the world do not have the love of the Father in him. Am I right? Listen, we have been given so much in our world and our day, but this isn't what we live for. We live for future reality. We live for the coming kingdom. Our investing in everything we do is for the future reality. It's not to build bigger homes. But rather we buy homes to use for kingdom purposes. And we fill those big homes up with as many people that need Jesus as possible. Everything about us is given over for kingdom and future reality. Heavenly living. We don't live for this world. We live for heaven. Some of you say, well, what does that look like? Well, it looks differently in every life. Am I right? For me as a businessman, when I realized that God had called me to Africa, and I realized, wait, I think he blessed all of this toy job for that, I began to give. 
I started SOS Ministries so I can give. And we began to pour money into SOS because if that's the reason God blessed it, then let's give. And then the more I gave, the more excited I was for business. And all of a sudden, business became kingdom. Because the more I can make, the more I can give, and the more God's name could be made great in the other part of the world. And I would go on business trips saying, honey, this is not business, this is missions right now. It's already begun. And not only that, it drove that I need to do things as unto Christ. When I do my work, I'm not working for a man. I am working unto God. And I'm going to work with passion. I'm going to work with purpose. Because I get to serve the king by going about my work today. What would happen if businessmen lived for kingdom? If we stopped separating the secular and the sacred and we started saying, no, wait, how do I make what is quote-unquote secular and make it sacred? And it all starts by changing the motivation that drives what we're doing. And, and if you make resources, it's for kingdom. And now you show a godly example to your kids of what it li- is to live for eternal purposes. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, the biggest challenge we have in our parenting is leaving an example for them to follow. They need to see us getting radical with our resources. We need men who are going to rise up and learn the needs in their communities and look to give resources without anybody knowing putting money in an envelope and having it passed by some means so that when someone opens it, they go, wow, look what God has done. That's awesome. Why? Because we know that as we give, we store treasures where? In heaven. So we're all about it. We need businessmen who are going to live for heaven. They're going to live radical. We need housewives whose whole world surrenders on pleasing their master by training their children in the word, by loving their husbands, by doing everything God tells you to do. You do it with passion and vigor. You see, living for heaven is not all of us becoming pastors and missionaries, but rather it's all of us using our professions as vehicles to advance the glory of God and the gospel. Let me say that our ministry in Uganda is built on godly businessmen who have said, I will use my resources to advance God's name. I praise the Lord for such men, and we need more. We need more people who are going to be about this. And and I even would ask, as the Bacells look to come to Uganda, every family should be supporting this family. They shouldn't go out on their own dime. They should go out in the dime of every believer here who loves Christ saying, we are behind you. We're about the mission. Come on, let's go. And we're supporting you. And they use their own resources however they want for kingdom purposes. But we, you, to love somebody is to give. When you give, your heart will be with them. If you don't give, you'll pray, but you'll forget about it. But every month when you give, you'll be praying for those dear saints. Characteristic number three, a, character, a Christian or a person of faith is someone who abstains from sin or runs from sin. In verses 24 and 25, we get this intriguing insight into Moses' life. Look what he says in verses 24 and 25. He says, by faith, Moses, when he had, was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy what? Enjoy what? The fleeting passions of sin. Listen to the description. The fleeting passions of sin. Meaning, They are passions that what? Fly away. They never satisfy. They come and they... 
How many men have wasted their whole life, their whole testimony, something not not reversible? You can't erase it for the simple, stupid passing pleasures. Moses says, I'm not living for that. He ran from sin. He didn't run to it. I love what John Piper said in Future Grace. When it comes to sin, our chief enemy is the lie that says sin will make our future happier. Our chief weapon is the truth that says God will make our future happier. And faith is the victory that overcomes the lie because faith is satisfied with God. You see, we run from sin even though we sense its temptations because we know it's true and we want nothing to do with sin's fleeting pleasure. Men, we want nothing to do with it. We want nothing to do with the internet and all of its passions and pleasures. We want to be satisfied with God and his way because we know he is the way, the truth, and the life. We run from sin. We have nothing to do with it. We don't watch it on TVs, on our phones, with movies. We don't even engage it because we hate it. We know it is not our friend. It is our enemy. That's why we set aside sin which so easily, what, entangles us. We set it aside so that we can run. This is not a momentary past event. This is an ongoing fight. We have been bought with a price, so therefore we glorify God with our bodies. Fourth characteristic. Are we still together? You're hanging out with me? Are we okay? Fourth characteristic is this, a Christian or a person of faith, are you ready for this one? Is someone who chooses to suffer. Someone who chooses to suffer. As we've already read in the life of Moses, we see that Moses chose rather to be, verse 25, to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. He chose mistreatment over sin's pleasure. Not only did Moses do that, but we see in verses 36 to 38, there were other men who chose suffering. Look at verse 36. Others suffered mockings, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and in goatskins, desolate, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. Men have lived crazy lies in light of the truth of God's word, choosing mistreatment, choosing suffering. Why? That they might serve their God. That they might serve the king of this universe. Suffering is what we choose. Our culture today is enslaved to protecting ourselves from suffering. We live for security. We live for health, wealth, and prosperity. Even the Christian community is pushing this idea that, listen, that true Christians will be happy and will not suffer. The biblical truth is that According to Romans chapter 8, you are an heir if you suffer with me. That not only are we called to faith, we're called to suffering. We choose suffering. We choose to sometimes bring many people into our home and to live under the pressure of caring for people and being burdened by things so that we can serve and give to others. 
We choose to stay up late to hear the burdens. We choose as pastors to shepherd sheep that don't want shepherding, and you get bit, and you get attacked, and you get abused for loving them. We counsel, not because they want it, but because we love. We choose suffering. This is what it is to be a Christian. We choose to not watch pleasurable things that we might study the Word of God instead. Dear friends, a Christian is one who chooses suffering because we don't want it. We want to be different on campus. We want everybody to know Jesus, and so we don't care what our friends say. And we choose to be the outcasts. To be called a, a bigot or be called someone who is, is uh, a hater, right? That's the new, new language. If you don't go with the, the whole uh, homosexual scene, you're now a hater, right? No, we're a lover. We're going to stand with the truth. And we're going to tell them that this is against God's way for the protection of the world, for the good of the souls of our people. This is what we choose. Number fifth characteristic is a Christian or a person of faith. Are you ready? Are you ready? Lives a radical and exciting life. Lives a radical and exciting life. You say, Shannon, what do you you mean by radical? What do I mean by radical? It means that we do what the natural man would never do. We do what the natural man would never do. We build an ark. We walk around a city. We move to Africa. That's not natural. Not only that, but we live exciting lives. What do we mean by exciting? It's that we see God do what is humanly impossible. Look with me in verse 29. He says this, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as though it was on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho, what? Fell down after they had been encircled seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jethro. Jethro of David, of Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may raise again to a better life. My dear friends, can you imagine being there, this army coming against you, there is a sea in front of you, and all of a sudden, you'd be like, oh my goodness, what? And then you cross, and all of a sudden, this other army comes, and can you imagine the excitement? Like, whoa! Can you imagine walking around Jericho seven times? You're walking, and you're walking, and you're going, this is lame. I have never heard of this war strategy ever. And you cross that seventh time, and all of a sudden, the walls of Jericho, can you imagine? You know what they did? Whoa! That's what they did. You see, they did something that was completely ridiculous, something that was radical. But what did they see? They saw God do something that was amazing. Listen, what God has done in Uganda has been God. There is nothing great about any of us. But we have said, listen, I'm going to go. And there were so many times I'm serving in Africa, and I'm like, what is, why am I here? What if this all falls apart tomorrow? But now I can go outside of my house and I can say, wow, look what God has done. It is 
a miracle. I've had the privilege of putting God to the test by believing, okay, if I am faithful today, will he bless tomorrow? And I can declare with you, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow us all the days of our lives if the Lord is our shepherd. Listen, my brothers and sisters, a Christian is a person of faith. I wonder sometimes if we don't see God do great and incredible things because we don't live great lives of faith. For my own life, I would give testimony that the more radical you live, the more you will see God do great and exciting things. Listen, you guys are a church that needs to reach this community. We need this building full and overflowing. We need to expand this thing out. And we need to reach our community. Let us live lives of radical faith. Because we are people of what? People of faith. Let me end with this reminder of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where he says this. Therefore, since we have surrounded, we are surrounded by such so great a cloud of witnesses, let us what? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely, and let us run with endurance. The race is set before us. My dear friends, let us run. Let us run. Live out these truths. Live for heaven. Choose to suffer. Run from sin. And let's do some radical and exciting things and watch God do. Brothers and sisters, remember who you are and ask yourself, am I living out who I am? What's stopping me? What's hindering me? And let's get ourselves all prepared and let's run this race. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we love you and we want you to be our all in all. We want you to have first place in our lives. We want to live our short days on this earth with purpose and live out as a person of faith. We recognize that we're added to this list. All of those whom you've redeemed, all are trophies of your grace and demonstrations of your power to this world, and we want to be used in great ways because you are a great God. Lord, I just pray that you would be with this body of believers, that Crossway Church here in Bakersfield, that the testimony of your love would go forth from this place and the ministering of your truth would impact many. We ask this for the praise, glory, and honor of your name we pray. Amen.